You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Philadelphia Eagles are 5-0 for the first time in back-to-back seasons in franchise history. Hello and welcome into the EPA podcast. We are celebrating the Eagles' fantastic start to the season this week. Got a special show lined up for you guys. Uh, I'm going to walk you through my thoughts from the Philadelphia game against the Rams last Sunday. Then I'm going to throw to an interview with Mark Schofield. Uh, You guys will probably remember Mark from uh, the QB Sco show or the QB Factory show. He's done some things with Rachelle and Michael Kist on this channel. One of the top QB guys in the game. We're going to ask him about Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense. We're going to ask him about Matthew Stafford. Zach Wilson, we're going to have a big quarterback conversation, uh, and then I will be back at the end to give some preview thoughts for the Eagles-Jets game. But before we get to all that, let's get into our recap of the Eagles against the Rams. The Eagles win this game 23-14. to Now, in the first half, this game looked it looked shaky. Uh, Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua were on fire in the first half of this one. They combined for 129 yards and a touchdown on nine catches. But then in the second half, they had only 60 yards on six catches. And the Eagles defense allowed zero points and only 81 yards in the second half. I thought one of the big turning points for this game, uh, the Eagles down 14 to 10 and they get the ball left with like 37 seconds left to play. You're just hoping to go get a field goal in that situation. But Jalen Hurts, lays a beautiful ball out there over the middle to A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown makes the one-handed catch, has a good run after the catch, and then he draws a flag for the horse collar tackle. Uh, And, of course, that ends up getting the Eagles down. Uh, Big chunk play, and then they get the back shoulder ball into the end zone for pass interference. And with two seconds left, time for one play. Nick Sirianni, in a move that's reminiscent of, like, the Philly special in the Super Bowl, instead of taking the points, they go with the QB sneak from the one-yard line. And it gets in to cap that five-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. They take a 17-14 lead into halftime. This was only the 15th time since 2001 that a drive went 70 or more yards in the final 45 seconds of the first half for a touchdown. So uh, incredible performance. Um, you know, Tom Brady always talked about the middle eight, the final four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half. The Eagles executed perfectly to close out the first half and take a lead. And they didn't really look back in the second half. Let's start out. Let's talk Eagles offense versus the Rams defense. And this was the best game of the year for the offense in terms of success rate and in terms of EPA per drive. The offense is finally starting to click. And I saw this stat from Shiel Kapadia on Twitter. Uh, You can go check him out. He's a great Eagles follow, but he said the Eagles offense is better than last year in both success rate which ranks fourth in the NFL, and an EPA per drive, which ranks fifth in the NFL. And they're scoring more points per game by about a point through five weeks. And so people have been concerned about the Eagles offense. In the words of Geno Smith, people wrote off the Eagles offense, but they didn't write back. And they're finally hitting their stride here. Uh, Jalen Hurts accounted for 375 yards in this game, 303 passing, 72 rushing, and two touchdowns. 300 yards passing and 70 rushing yards has only happened 10 times in the last five years. And only Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson have done it more than once. This was a special performance by Jalen Hurts. It was his first 40-yard rushing game since the Super Bowl. And we talked about, uh, I talked about last week on the podcast, that the scrambling just hasn't been there. And I thought Hurts looked more like his 2022 version that, almost won the MVP last year. He had 0.27 EPA per drop back. It was his best passing performance of the year. As a scrambler, he had 4.72 expected points added, 
which is the third highest mark for him in a game since the start of the 2022 season. Uh, the only two times last year that he added more EPA as a scrambler were in week one against the Lions when he added five and week 11 against Green Bay when he added 7.15. That 4.72 EPA added as a scrambler is more than double. It's 2.63 times as much as what he added in the first four games combined. And he had a couple of huge third down scrambles. Uh, he had a huge improv play to Kenny Gainwell on a third down that was made possible by his legs. Uh, Jalen Hurts as a runner was fully back in this game. And so that puts to bed any concerns about him having a lingering injury. Uh, Jalen Hurts still has it. He was choosing not to run. And, you know, to be honest, you need to find that balance. Um, you want to use him as a runner. That's one of the things that makes him so special, but you don't want to overuse it. And so I thought, you know, picking your spots well and doing it more out of structure than with QB designed runs is the way to go. And so hopefully they continue to do that. I thought this was an incredible performance by the Eagles offensive line. Now, granted, the Rams don't have the best pass rush, but they do have a guy named Aaron Donald. Maybe you've heard of him and you didn't hear from him at all, other than when the announcers pointed out that Aaron Donald has a sack against 30 of 32 NFL teams. The two teams he doesn't are the Rams, who he's played for his whole career, and the Philadelphia Eagles. They were able to neutralize Aaron Donald. Every time there was a pass rush, there were four hands on Aaron Donald. They double teamed him and just took him out of the equation. And, you know, there were moments I pointed out on my all 22 passing review that Hertz is just standing in the pocket forever, like four and a half seconds with no pressure whatsoever. On 40 dropbacks, Jalen Hurts was only hit two times in this game. And one of them, he rolled out of the pocket uh, and he should have thrown it away earlier. He wouldn't have been hit. So uh, incredible performance by the offensive line down a starter uh, with Cam Jurgens on IR. Sua Opeta stepped in and did an admirable job on the interior of the line. Another big storyline from this game is Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard had had a slow start to the season and it's not that he was playing bad. The connections just hadn't been there. He finally got going on this game. He entered the game with only 88 yards on the season, and he had eight catches for 117 yards and a touchdown. And that touchdown was a beautiful play. Opening drive of the game, they hit Goddard a few times on the way down the field. Uh, but then you get into the red zone, and the Rams had a single high safety. And so at the snap, Hertz looks left to keep that guy from coming to the right, which is where you've got three receivers going. You would prefer that guy to slant that side if you're the if you're the defense, but he looks left to freeze the safety. And then he comes back and you've got uh, the running back going into the flat to pull down the flat zone. You had uh, Devonta Smith on like a little sit route to hold the linebacker. And you had Dallas Goddard just up the seam and Hertz threw that ball beautifully. Uh, I put the clip out on Twitter. You guys can go check it. He throws this ball behind Goddard. If he throws it in front of him, that's a hospital ball. It's going to be a huge collision in the end zone. Goddard probably doesn't hang on but he throws it behind him and Goddard has to like, he like jumps and twists. And essentially what Hertz does is Goddard is moving to the left and he throws it behind him. So although Goddard's still moving to the left, he has spun around and the safety hits him in the back instead of in the chest, uh, just beautiful throw and placement by Hertz. And that's a tough catch by Goddard, but he takes the catch through the contact and gets the touchdown. Uh, it was really nice to see Goddard on the same page with Hertz in this one. A.J. Brown also hit 100 yards in this game for the third straight week. And so, you know, when you have A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, they're not all going to go off every week. There's just not enough yards to go around. And Devonta Smith didn't have much in this game. But it's so hard to shut down this offense when you have all of those guys clicking. Now, that said, the Eagles still have red zone issues. I do think I think Brian Johnson's done a really good job so far this season calling plays. I think people are were down on him unnecessarily early, but I do think he is struggling to find the right notes in the red zone. The Eagles are ranked 27th in the NFL right now in red zone scoring percentage, touchdown percentage. That is, they were third last year, and I'm going to ask Mark about that in a few minutes. What he's seeing there, but from what I'm seeing. You're getting too cute with Kenny Gainwell. Brandon Lee Gowton put this stat out on red zone possessions where Kenny Gainwell has a touch. The Eagles have scored one touchdown in six trips. When DeAndre Swift has had a touch, you've scored six touchdowns 
in nine trips. And so you got to work that out. Keep Swift in the game. I, I know why Gainwell's in the game. He had some really good pass protection reps in this game. You don't want to run DeAndre Swift into the ground. The red zone is not the time to get cute with Kenny Gainwell. And my my biggest qualm with Brian Johnson in this game, you're up six with just a few minutes left, and you get into the red zone where you would like to score a touchdown. It would be nice to have a chance to score a touchdown, go for two and be up 14. But either way, a field goal puts you up nine. You're up two possessions as long as you score. And so what do they do? In the red zone, they pull DeAndre Swift out. They put Kenny Gainwell in the backfield. And then on first down, you call a QB draw. Now, I like the QB draw, but if we don't want to get our quarterback hit, why are we running QB draws up six in the red zone where a field goal puts you up two scores with just a couple of minutes left? And if you are going to run QB draw, spread it out, go empty to, to spread the formation. But they have Kenny Gainwell in the backfield, and so it condenses space, and, and it just doesn't go anywhere. Then on second down, they handed it to Gainwell. They call a timeout, and then on third down, they ran another QB run play. You just don't need to get Jalen Hurts hit there. Like, there needs to be consistency. We don't want Jalen Hurts to take hits for four weeks, and we've got him sitting down uh, for a one-yard gain when there's only a cornerback in front of him last week to this week calling two designed runs up six with just a couple minutes left in the red zone. I I just don't get that's not consistent, and Brian Johnson has to do a better job pushing the right buttons in the red zone. Um. Another player we got to talk about is Quez Watkins. Like Quez Watkins needs to be on the bench. Uh, He is an active detriment to this football team. And I know why the Eagles like him. They want to use his speed. The problem is he's a terrible route runner. Quez Watkins is a terrible route runner. You cannot trust him on routes over the middle. You can only run him deep or scheme touches for him. And if you're going to scheme touches for a receiver, screens, things like that. It better not be to him. Throw it to Devonta Smith. I mean, you have that third and two screen to Quez Watkins, perfect alley to pick up the first down. And instead of running between his blockers, he tries to cut it outside and he doesn't pick up the first down. And you see Devonta Smith fired up about it. You see Nick Sirianni fired up about it on the sideline. He just, if you're going to use him to stretch the field, don't put him in at the 20 yard line, which is where that was at. He can't stretch the field. There's not field to stretch. It's all condensed. Like, Olamide Zacchaeus should be playing more snaps than Quez Watkins. It definitely shouldn't be like 85% of the snaps for Quez. There was another play that I broke down on the All-22 video. The scramble drill play where Quez Watkins was wide open in the back of the end zone, jumping up and down. I'm almost positive that the Eagles dialed up a, a double China 7 concept, which is two in routes, at the, and then a corner route. And Quez Watkins was supposed to be the corner route. And before the snap, you see him looking at Devonta Smith with his hands up and the ball gets snapped. He doesn't know what route he's supposed to run. And he just runs over the middle right into the space where Dallas Goddard and Devonta Smith are. He killed that play because he didn't know what route to run. Like He just continues to make mistakes. He needs dramatically less playing time. Olamide Zacchaeus should be your wide receiver three. He should be the guy getting 75% of the snaps. If you want to put Quez on the field and have him run a nine route every once in a while, that's fine. Uh, But he doesn't really add anything. His speed doesn't add anything because your downfield threat is already A.J. Brown. It's not like you need another one. And if you do, it's Devonta Smith. So Quez Watkins is redundant. Get him off the football field. Uh, you see, So you saw the frustration there from Sirianni and Smith on that one. You saw Jason Kelsey being fired up on the sideline late in this game about a delay of game when, when the game's basically over, by the way. And I just love that. Like that's the cult. People are talking about that. I, th- I see that as the culture that exists on this team. The attention to detail is huge. And even though they're winning, there's these little things that aren't going right. And they're upset about it and they want to get it fixed. And I just love to see that. So. Eagles offense had a really good day. The Eagles defense, it was a little more mixed bag. Uh, In the first half of this game, the Rams had a .634 drop back EPA with a 61% success rate. A .2 drop back EPA is a good day. This was triple that. In the second half, it was a negative .614 drop back EPA with a 20.8% success rate. Overall for the game, this was the worst Rams game by success rate this season, and it was the first game that they had 
Cooper Cup back, and I thought he looked good. And so what happened? What were the adjustments made? How did the Eagles take away what the Rams were doing in the second half? I've got I'm working on an all 22 video now. It'll be out by the time you get this podcast. And the short answer is, I think Sean Desai tried a lot of things. They came into this game slot by committee. They had Goodrich in on early downs. They had Rickson on passing downs. Neither of them worked. Uh, Cooper Cup was dicing this team up. Then they went to uh, Bradley Roby. And I thought Roby was a little better. They blitzed Roby a lot, by the way. That's a new development. And Roby is a good blitzer. But Honestly, they, they tried things. They tried boxing bunches. They tried playing triangle coverage over stacks. They tried bracketing cup. They tried a lot of things. And I'm glad that Sean Desai was willing to try those things. I honestly don't think any of them worked. I, I think I think Matthew Stafford just sort of fell apart in the second half of this game. Now, there's reasons for that. Jalen Carter gets two sacks. Hassan Reddick gets two sacks. They're, they're getting after the quarterback, and he start, it sped up his internal clock. And so... There's an element of that, and that's a win for the defense. When you invest in the pass rush as much as the Eagles do, it has to be able to get home and get in the head of quarterbacks. But there were throws that Stafford missed that he will normally make. I thought Cup maybe looked a, a smidge slow in the second half, like maybe he's not getting to the spots that uh, Matthew Stafford wanted him to be. Maybe that's a conditioning thing. Maybe Stafford is pressing because he's worried about the pressure. Whatever it is. I thought guys were still open. And so I'm not sure that the Eagles secondary did as much as people think to tighten up that coverage. And don't get me wrong, Desai was trying things, and I love that. I just think the main reason that the Rams offense struggled in the second half was Stafford, not some adjustment that the Eagles secondary made. But regardless of what happened, you see a willingness from Desai to change things on the fly. That's really good. That's something that Gannon lacked last year. And regardless of why this happens, the last five possessions by the Rams went punt, 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 turnover on downs, end of game. They had 95 yards on those five possessions, and they did not run a play in Eagles territory in the second half. So for what it's worth, um, tamper the expectations for the Eagles defense to be stellar now, but I think it's a work in progress. And I think as uh, Roby plays more, you're going to get better because he's going to get more used to the defense and Nicobe Dean's 21 day practice window is opened up now. And so you're going to start to get some of these guys back. Hopefully Sidney Brown is back next week. And so you'll start to get back to health. Obviously Avante Maddox is not walking through that door. Zach McPherson's not walking through that door anytime soon, uh, but hopefully you'll be able to get back on track. Uh, I mentioned Jalen Carter. Uh, he had two sacks in this game. Uh, he has been stellar this year. In the last decade, only four first-round defensive tackles out of 26 guys have had more than three-and-a-half sacks as a rookie. Jalen Carter has three-and-a-half sacks in four games, and it's just its phenomenal. It's unbelievable at what he has been able to do. And you just think about this guy is playing on a team with Fletcher Cox, who Fletcher Cox wasn't on the field this week. He was hurt, but he's playing next to Fletcher Cox a lot of the time. Uh, he's got Hassan Reddick, who had like, what, 17 sacks last year, 19, I can't remember for sure. He's got Josh Reddick on the other edge. Jalen Carter is the guy that people are choosing to double team. He's being double teamed on 62% of his pass rushing snaps so far this year. And despite that, he is second in pass rush win rate among defensive tackles. He's first in pressures, and he's first in sacks. And I said four guys have had over three and a half sacks as a rookie. He has three and a half sacks in four games. Like he's not only on pace for rookie defensive rookie of the year, he's on pace to be an all pro in his rookie season. And that's just phenomenal. And then you see Hassan Reddick gets going. He has sacks on back-to-back -back plays, including that fourth down that ices the game. So encouraging performance by the pass rush. Hopefully the secondary, uh, you marry that pass coverage to your pass rush. And hopefully that will uh, continue to get better as the season goes along. So. That's my thoughts on the Eagles-Rams game after going back to the All-22. You can check out some more in-depth analysis on my All-22 videos here on the Bleeding Green Nation YouTube channel. Uh, but enough of that. I'm going to throw to a break now. And when we come back, I'm going to have Mark Schofield on to talk about what he has seen with the Eagles offense and specifically Jalen Hurts through the first five weeks of the season.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back from the break here. I am very excited to have Mark Schofield in the studio, uh, figuratively speaking. I guess. I don't know why we still use that terminology when we record everything over the internet, but Mark is in my figurative studio here. Uh, Longtime listeners of the BGN radio feed will remember Mark had a great show with Michael Kiss for years, the QB Sco show, rebranded the QB factory. Uh, He did some things with Rachel. Uh, Now he is at SB Nation covering whatever he wants to football, hockey, basketball, baseball. I don't, it's all out there. Mark's covering it all. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Be sure to follow his work. Mark, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Shane. It is a fantastic Thursday morning. Um, as you said, look, I'm at SB Nation. I get to write about everything, which means I'll probably get to write about Bryce Harper's stare down later today. That was a, a fun game three as somebody that, Look, I'm a bit I'm a Boston guy, so I have absolutely no dog in this fight whatsoever. But with you know being living in the DC area and Philly just up the road from here and making some trips to Philly, I've kind of grown a soft spot for the Phillies, I guess you could say. And Harper is just fun to watch. That team is fun to watch. You know, Citizens Bank Park, man. That place is is, is different. It is absolutely different. And that crowd, I literally before we started recording, I watched the field level view of Harper's home run on like 10 or 11 times in a row, just picking out different fans and seeing just how quick they all knew off the bat that that was a home run. And it's, it was just absolutely tremendous. So fun series so far. Um, Philly fans are probably loving life right now, a lot more than Boston sports fans are loving life right now, but at least the Bruins are starting well. So that's good. Yeah. I, so admittedly, I, I don't follow other sports much. And so it's always interesting to me. I get you get into like Philly's playoffs, and all of a sudden my Twitter timeline's no longer about football anymore. Right, right. Yeah, because it my stuff's all football, and that's all the people I follow. But I mean, they talk about baseball when it's the biggest thing. And so I had to mesh, message uh, Dibes and Mark Henry Jr., two guys I do the BGN yeah. draft show with, and be like, "All right, what's the what's the what is the disdain here between?" Phillies and Braves because I I just didn't know so now I'm caught up on it so I actually know what you're talking about which is a rarity when we branch out of football right but that's why October Shane is such a good month because you get obviously NFL college football you know those seasons heated up college football and you've been doing such a great job covering college game now this year like we're now getting into conference schedules we get Washington Oregon this weekend which if people remember last year's Washington-Oregon game, that was an instant classic. This year's could be even better. Uh, but you also get baseball playoffs. We're getting basketball coming back. We're getting hockey coming back now. It, October is, for many reasons, my favorite month, but the sports calendar is a big part of that. Yeah, we we previewed Washington-Oregon earlier this week on the BGN Draft Show. Uh, should be a great game. And I just have to say, since we're on college football for a minute, uh, we got the oppor- I got the opportunity to do something I never get to do the week before, and that's talk about my Oklahoma Sooners uh, for the Red River rivalry. We go. So we got to drop a horns. Down drop a horns down. Avenge the blowout from last year. I'm flying high right now. You should. Both be. my teams are undefeated. That doesn't happen very often. That, that's a rarity in sports, my friend. Especially uh, over the last, especially since Lincoln Riley left for OU. But all right, well. As much as I love shooting the breeze with Mark, we didn't bring him on to do that. Mark is one of the best QB guys out there. And so I wanted to bring Mark on and talk with him. I have a conversation about Jalen Hurts, about the Eagles offense, and and recap a little bit of what he saw in the Rams game and what he should expect against the Jets. So, Mark, I got a six-pack of questions here for you. Let's dive in. So uh, first up, through the first three weeks of the season, the Eagles offense just looked off. I mean, countless people were talking about it. I did all 22 videos about it. Jalen Hurts ranked 20th in EPA per play at negative 0.13. But in weeks four and five, he ranks fifth in EPA per play at 0.33. What do you think has been the biggest difference for the Eagles offense in the last two weeks? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the Eagles, like you mentioned, they're undefeated, but I, I could feel, because again, I have a lot of Eagles, Philly fans on my timeline, the, the sort of uneasiness about it. Um, you know, we did our power rankings over at Espionation this week and, you know, Niners one, Eagles two, and our entire Eagles blurb was just like, it's going to be okay. Like, relax. It's early. I think a lot of it, and I've seen this, you know, as a Patriots fan, when you see that sort of brain drain, right? Like the year they lost Weiss and Romeo Cornell to head coaching gigs, you get new coordinators coming in. There's that sort of feel it out process. And I, I think particularly Brian Johnson, you know, he's called plays before, but not at the NFL level. And so I think there's a feeling out process there that they're undergoing, and that's going to improve. Something we talked about on the Monday Football Monday show, J.P. Acosta mentioned, Eagles have the best position group in the NFL with their offensive line. And that's certainly something they can lead into as the season goes on. So, again, don't worry. It's going to be okay. I think the big difference with that sort of weeks one through three and then weeks four and five delineation with Hurts and this is a bit noisy, perhaps, but success in the downfield passing game. I think you look at weeks one through three, and I, I pulled up some PFF numbers. He was just three for 12 on throws over 20 yards, 151 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, adjusted completion percentage of just 33%, which was 16th of 22 passers in the NFL. And then weeks four through five, six of 11 for 237, two touchdowns, one pick, adjusted completion percentage of 55%, 7th out of the 19 passers. It's a small sample size, obviously, but that's a big boost. That's a big jump in the downfield passing game. You could see it on film as well. You look at the game against Washington, had some great shot plays. They had a fantastic throw, third quarter, 13-13 uh, mark of the third quarter. is a whole shot, verts to A.J. Brown along the left sideline. Really good throw in rhythm. All, you know, four verts against cover two. You hit the whole shot. Really good job with his eyes. He had some downfield throws, some throws in that 20-plus range against the Rams as well. Fourth quarter, that PA deep crosser to A.J. Brown working left to right. That came at the 9-18 mark of that fourth quarter. They've had more success in the downfield passing game these past couple of weeks, and that's helped tick those numbers up. And so, yeah, downfield passing can be noisy. You know, you can have some good weeks and bad weeks. But I think when you look at weeks one through three versus weeks four and five, that's a big part of that jump in EPA is having some success pushing the ball downfield. All right, yeah. And I think also maybe a little bit of what plays into that is how heavily Hertz was blitzed over the first couple of weeks. There was less time for those things to develop. And that was one of my biggest complaints with the Eagles offense last season, Th their lack of answers for the blitz. It seemed like a majority of the time Shane Steichen's answer to the blitz was Jalen Hertz, go make a free runner miss. And we've seen, he can certainly do that. Uh, but Hertz has been blitzed on 48% of his dropbacks through the first three weeks. Obviously it's tapered off a little bit in weeks four and five, but what differences have you seen from last year in how this Eagles offense is handling blitzers? You know, it's interesting, Shane. It almost feeds off the previous point because last year when he was blitzed, average depth of target when blitzed was 7.6 yards. It seemed like you said the answer to the blitz was make a free run or miss and either take off or just get the ball out to the flat, check it down, you know, replace the blitz, you know, with the ball quickly. This year when he's been blitzed, average depth of target is 9.6. And so they've actually, instead of just taking advantage of the blitzes, they've almost leaned into the idea of punishing blitzers, right? If you're going to blitz us, we're going to go deep instead. We're going to push it downfield. You, know, you look at this game against the Rams, that big slant to A.J. Brown, you know, with 17 seconds left in, in the half, you know, that's a downfield throw and comes in the face of a, a – a, man pressure scheme where you get man coverage on the outside you tack on the horse collar and suddenly you're in plus territory but again punishing the blitz by going downfield week three you know there was a play at the 737 markers a third and five of the second quarter another five-man pressure you pre-snap you get that cover zero cover one look you hit goddard on a big drift or a dig, dig route you've got the swing in the flat and instead of where i think last year hurts might have just taken that You've got an opportunity to just get the ball out quickly. Hands in the pocket just that half second longer. Punishes the blitz with a downfield throw. And so that jump in average depth of target by two yards might not seem like much, but it's a lot. When you especially would you consider, look, league-wide this year, I think average depth of target leader is Jordan Love, 9.9, .9, and that's on all throws. 
When you're talking about being blitzed and thrown for, you know, average depth of target at 9.6, you're really pushing the ball downfield in the face of the blitz. And that gives defenses one more thing to worry about because a lot of times when you construct blitzes, you worry like, okay, well, here's where, here's where the hot's going to be. Here's where the outlet's going to be. Like, this is kind of where we have to rally to. Now we have to worry about not just that, but potential throw downfield or over the top of the defense at the pace of the blitz. Again, one more thing for a defense to worry about. So I think that's been a big part of how they've handled blitzes this year. And it's it's something exciting to see from this offense. Yeah, so is that is that increased average depth of target? Is that a byproduct of leaving running backs in to block more? Uh, they've used Jack Stoll a lot as like a sixth offensive yeah. lineman. Is that where that's yeah, coming from, you think? Because, you know, when you if you think about it this way from the quarterback's frame of mind, like if if you're getting blitzed, but it's more five man protection scheme empty or, you know, a chip release situation. So five and a half man protection scheme, you're still thinking I got to get it out quick. And so you're probably thinking maybe if I get a nine route, I'll throw it. Otherwise, I got to get this ball out to the flat. I got to check this ball down. I got to hit a sit route over the middle. But when you've got that sort of six-man or six-plus protection scheme where you might have six and then a tight end chip and release or something, you think, okay, I've got a little bit more time. I can let that downfield route develop a little bit more. I can let that dig route from Goddard that I mentioned for week three develop a little bit more. I don't have to get it out right away. Now, what I probably should have done is looked at, you know, time of release, you know, snap to throw on these things. So, you know, that's a homework assignment for me going forward. But in my mind, you know, that's where my head goes. If you've got the idea that I've got more time to let this stuff develop, you know, by six plus protection schemes, you're going to take those shot plays. You'll feel more comfortable handing in the pocket because you'll feel I'll have the time to do it. Yeah, it's interesting that that's what you point out, because what I've taken away from watching the Blitz and I've seen more, a lot more out of empty and things. But the thing I really keyed in on is they've used Goddard a lot on uh, hitches, curls. Uh, they've used A.J. Brown out wide on quick slants especially when they've been out of empty when obviously you don't have the option to max protect they've had some of these real quick reads for Hertz to get it out so it's interesting if you asked me that question that's the direction I would have went and I haven't really noticed as much the max protect but it's interesting that seeing those quicker throws like I've seen but his a dots still come up so that's really interesting that you point that out I'm gonna have to go back and look at that some more yeah and I think it speaks to and and this is something that I love about the Eagles and, in a sense, the 49ers as well, the different ways you can beat teams with these offenses. And I, I know, you know, Eagles fans, the the sort of the, the, this offense has not been what they wanted to see, but when you can have quick game elements to beat the blitz, when you can have downfield elements to beat the blitz, like that's multiple ways to beat a team. It gets into all the different things that a defensive coordinator has to worry about when facing this team. And again, that feeds into my underlying point they're going to be okay. Like when you've got, look, I'm a Patriots fan. Okay. Patriots have like one way to beat teams right now. And it's like, hopefully they turn the ball over 17 times and you might be able to get 17 (laughs) field goals out of it. So when a team has more than one way or more than like three ways to win games, that's a very good thing. And that's where the Eagles are right now. Yeah. I was not going to bring up the Patriots on this podcast. I have to, I I mean, Mark, Look, 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 dunking on myself, it's one of my many brands, and the Patriots have made it easy to dunk on myself. I'm going to have to start hiding all the stuff that's over my shoulder here, all the Patriots paraphernalia. It's just too, too painful when I'm doing a show to see it in the back of the virtual studio. Yeah, uh, fun nugget for the people. When Mark and I first started interacting, it was during the 2017 season, and the Eagles and Patriots proceeded to meet in the Super Bowl. And I messaged Mark before as like, hey – I'm going to talk trash about the Patriots this week, but we'll still be friends afterwards, right? Yeah. Look, <laughs> and, and, and here we are, what, six years later, and we're still doing shows together and having a good time with it. See, you know, there's bigger things in football. Works out. Yeah, it works out perfectly. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the Eagles defense a little bit and the performance of Matthew Stafford. Um, Matthew Stafford and the Rams offense, they diced up the Eagles secondary in the first half at they had a drop back EPA of 0.634 and a 61% success rate in the first half. In the second half, that changed to negative 0.614 and a 20.8% success rate. Mark, I can't tell you how rare a 1.2 EPA per play swing is between halves. Like that's unheard of. What adjustments did you see from the Rams to help slow down Stafford and the Rams passing attack? Yeah, it was interesting. So, Charting that game out, 
two minute warning of the first half was the first time I saw a true middle field open coverage from Philly. Like they had one zero blitz on a pass play before that, but then they finally got into an actual middle of field open coverage. And then you look at first play, the second half on defense, quarter, quarter, half. Three of the first four plays were in some true middle field open cover four, quarter, quarter, half, cover two. They leaned a little bit more into too high stuff in the second half. And I think, you know, part of it was, you know, you're wondering what you're really going to see from Cooper Cup, right? What, what are you going to really see from this offense? So maybe you think at first half, Cup's going to be a little bit limited. Puka's been great. You know, nobody cares about my fantasy team, but my favorite draft pick of all time is drafting Cooper, right? Puka right now. Um, but you may be thinking, look, they might lean into the run game a little bit, even though we've got a good defensive front, obviously a great run defense, but you don't know what you're going to get from Cooper. So maybe you'll play a little bit more single high and see how that pans out. Cooper looked pretty good in that game. And so they had some success in the first half throwing the football. They had some success throwing against single high coverage. And so, all right, you reset things, you lean into some two high stuff a little bit more, and you start to have a little bit more success containing that passing game. Another thing that I saw first half to second half, a little bit more stunts and twists up front. First half, they had like five or so of those. There was like 12 that I charted in the second half, and they had some success, even if they weren't getting home for sacks, getting Stafford under pressure, getting some free runners at him, doing some stuff, some twist games up front. And so those two things I thought were really interesting, sort of taking a step back, charting this game out and seeing, oh, some more middle field open stuff in the second half. Oh, some more stuff up front in the second half. And you know, that might be something to sort of think about going forward. You know, you see that big disparity in first half, second half numbers. You see some of the things that had some success in the second half. Wouldn't surprise me to see more of them going forward. Yeah, I felt like the pass rush really got into Stafford's head in the second half. It seemed like yeah. his, his internal clock sped up. There were mm-hmm. there were several throws that, like, I, I did an all-22 video, and I pointed out several times in the second half, like, Stafford had touchdowns if a he had time to throw or if b he hit the throw Uh, there was a couple to um, Cooper Cup that they just looked a little out of sync you know byproduct not playing together in eight months so uh, you know the pass rush can cover up deficiencies from the secondary at times and I felt like you saw that a decent amount on the back end of that game yeah absolutely I mean you know I I think Anytime you can speed up that QB's internal clock, you're going to be okay as a defense because it throws everything off. And the Rams, you know, there are offenses in this league that are more timing and rhythm based. You know, Stafford is a bit more vibes based at times, but even with him, you get him sped up a bit. It's going to throw the timing of concepts off. And then, like you said, with Cup coming back, like, you know, they know each other, but still they might not be exactly on the same page as they would be had Cup been healthy the first couple of weeks of the season. That's going to even exacerbate that issue even more. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's get back to the Eagles here, and let's talk about the red zone offense. It, it's been a major talking point. Uh, last season, Philadelphia scored a touchdown on 68% of their red zone trips, which was the third highest number in the league. This season, they're only scoring on 42% of their trips, which is 27th in the league. Simple question with maybe not a simple answer, Mark, but what's going wrong in the red zone and how do the Eagles fix it? Yeah, I mean, it is an issue. Look, they're not alone. I mean, you look at Dallas, you look around the league, like a lot of teams are sort of struggling in the red zone right now. And I, whenever red zone comes up, I always, my mind flashes back to the second game of my college football career. I was a freshman, Craig Ray, our offensive coordinator, who had coached at Purdue and Western Carolina, NCAA, and Tina, a whole bunch of different spots. You know, we were struggling down in the red zone in that game, and he was yelling at nobody in the sideline. It's so damn hard to score down here. And it's because you get what I like to call three extra defenders, really, because everything gets tighter down there. Like, you've got less real estate to work with. You've got 22 players in a shorter compressed area of the field. Sidelines come into play a little bit more. The back line of the end zone comes into play a little bit more. And so, you know, if you're a team that likes some four vertical concepts and things like that, you run out of real estate quicker. And so timing is at a premium. So it's just harder down there. Everything is so compressed. So Eagles certainly are not alone in this, in this area. And that's something that look, you know, if, you listen to Sirianni and Johnson Goddard and players and coaches have talked about it. You know, they mentioned that they mentioned that it's tougher down there because of the lack of real estate. So that's part of it. There's also the fact that look, execution has been a problem, you know, and, and they also talked about this. 
you get yourself into third and 10 down in the red zone, then it's really tough, right? Because you think about the stuff you want to call. If you're between the 20s, 30, 10, you're calling some vertical stuff. If you're third and 10, it's it, what do you dial up down in the red zone? You, the vertical concepts you might lean into in the open field, you're going to run out of that real estate really quickly. You look at some of their you know, drives that have sputtered down in the red zone, right? Like, you know, week four, you know, there was a play down in the red zone, 308 mark in the first quarter. They dial up a screen, defense makes a good play, and suddenly it's second and 10, second and 11 down in the red zone, and you're behind the sticks. There was a drive at the end of the third quarter. You know, there's 35 seconds left in the third quarter, first and 10 down in the red zone. You get zero blitz. Hurts is pressured, has to flush, throws it away. You follow that up with a QB draw to try to get yourself back into sort of, you know, a manageable third down situation. They're waiting for it. Like they motion to empty linebackers, like basically calling it out, like pointed at Hertz and pointed at the motion. They knew it was coming. Now it's third and 11 down in the red zone. Like that, that's going to be tough. Week three against Tampa Bay. They had a couple of different drives where incompletions on first and 10, you get a penalty on a, a second and 10 play. Now it's second and 15. Like you get yourself behind the sticks in those situations, second and 15 down in the red zone. What are you going to dial up in, in that situation? And so, I think it's a confluence of things. Running out of real estate, compressed field, it's tough. They've also had some lack of execution on early downs. When you get it to third and 15, third and 11 in the red zone, because of that lack of real estate, it's going to be tougher. And so I, I think the main thing is success on early downs down in the red zone. Like second and four is much better, obviously, than second and 11. But that goes doubly when you're down in the red zone because, again, the reasons we've talked about. It's just tougher to execute and get chunk plays down in the red zone. You don't have the space to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And hopefully that's something they're able to clean up. Um, you know, small sample size, noise. Uh, hopefully yeah, they're and, able to clean that up the, as the season right, goes along. I, I think it was an NBC Sports Philly article or somebody pointed out that, look, they had a drive this past week where they were in the red zone but ran out the clock. They had a drive against Tampa Bay where they are in the red zone ran out the clock. You strip those two out and they're suddenly league average instead of where they are right now in the red zone. And it looks a little bit better now. Yeah. You're kind of playing with stats a little bit, but you weren't trying to really score on those drives. And so, you know, I, I think you could sort of view it that way as well as it's a small sample size and you strip those two drives out and it looks a little bit better and you're still five and oh, like it, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It, it is crazy. Like I've never seen a team that you know, you get the ball with a nine minutes left and you just never give the ball back. Just yeah. the Eagles ability to just drain the fourth quarter is insane. They did it last year. Shane's watching the Colts game last weekend and Shane Steichen and the Colts get the ball back with like eight minutes left and they drain seven and a half of it off. It's just that ball control. And, and that's being just able it. to sit on the lead is incredible. That's just it. And I think that gets to sort of the overall point that it's going to be okay with Philly. You know, They've got, in addition to the different ways they can win games, they've got a true trump card, right? It's that offensive line. It's that ability to sort of just work a game till its end, like to to just take an eight-minute drive and just deflate the opposition and ice a game. Like That's something they can lean into. You know, when the going gets tough, right? Like think about San Francisco-Dallas the other night, and the Niners get up. What does Dallas have as a calling card that they can lead into and say, this is how we're going to come back? We don't know what that is. Eagles get down 7 nothing, get down 14 nothing. Like they can lead into, okay, we've got the best position group in football on our offensive line. We're going to be okay. Like we don't have to panic. Like we've got a card that we can play. Again, a lot of teams don't have that. Yeah, you talk about that, and I'm getting off topic here, but I put out all 22 video. That, that last deep throw that, Hertz made to AJ Brown in the Rams game. Like I put it on a clock. He had 4.52 seconds to throw from Man, a could beautiful have a brisket back yeah, there from a I beautiful mean, pocket. And then you've got AJ Brown and the closest defender, you know, 30 yards downfield and the closest defender is seven yards away. And I just like, yeah. I just said on the video, I was like, football is not supposed to be that easy. Like 31 other quarterbacks no. in the NFL would kill to have no. that time and have a guy that open. I mean, when it's, it's looking incredible. like, when it's looking like Zach Wilson at BYU, when he had all day to throw from pristine pockets and guys running wide open, like, yeah, that's a good place to be for an NFL offense. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Zach Wilson, and the Eagles have the Jets coming up this weekend. 
Uh, and the Jets have one of the best cornerback duos in the NFL in Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, who's the lesser known guy, but he shouldn't be. He's a phenomenal player. Uh, if Brian Johnson called you tomorrow and said, Mark, I know you're good at this stuff. Uh, I, I'm a little under the weather. I'm going to bring you in, put you on the chalkboard, let you build this game plan out. How would you attack this Jets defense? First of all, my response would be, uh, Brian, somebody's lying to you. Um, call somebody a lot smarter than me. Call my buddy Shane. Um, and Shane will get you get you taken care of. Um, I'm assuming you're talking about Shane Steichen there. <laughs> no, I'm talking about you, but Shane Steichen <laughs> wouldn't be a bad player to be either. Um, you're right, though. Look, this is a, a defense that is good. This is a very good defense that you're going to see this week. Um, you know, you're talking about, like you said, they could get after you a little bit up front, right? Like this is a defense that has shown an ability to get after you up front to sort of pressure you a little bit. They get a very good corner deal. Um, one thing that I'd sort of be curious to see if they use this week, so sort of some, you know, flip slots or inverted slots, however you want to term it, right? Where you've, instead of having, say, you know, A.J. Brown on the outside and, and Goddard on the inside, flip those two. Get Goddard on the outside. Gives you a couple of things, right? Gives you a coverage tell, right? If you get, you know, Dallas Goddard on the numbers, A.J. Brown or, or Smith inside of him in the slot, and Sauce Gardner's handing over your tight end, you know it's probably zone coverage. And if you're hurt, you're, you're getting some information. So then you can go, okay, on this concept, I can get to my my eyes to the zone beater. I can get my eyes to, to this part of the concept, and I'll know I've got a pretty good shot at executing against it. If Sauce Gardner then has to come inside, to cover his receiver. Now you've got the benefit of the two way go, you know, and, and that's why, you know, when we get into draft season and you start hearing guys say like, Oh, this guy's a slot only in the NFL and it's not going to work because, you know, it's a little bit easier when you have that two way go coming out of the slot, you got more room to work with. You can release inside or outside and still get into your route. It's a lot harder for a slot corner because again, you're defending somebody that now has that two way go and you might want to try to force them to the outside and, they'll be okay with that because they can get into their route the same way. So uh, would it surprise me if you see some stuff like that, you know, try to get those corners playing in the slot, try to get your best guys working out of the slot, get them that two way go against that corner duo, see if they sprinkle some of that in. Would it surprise me to see some empty quick game stuff like you talked about? Look, this is a defensive front that can get pressure. They will bring blitzes. You'll get the ball out quickly. Then you might sprinkle in some of the max protection stuff I talked about. Okay, well we'll go max protect six, seven, if they blitz, that's fine. We'll get it blocked up. We can get a shot play downfield, maybe with a check down if we need it. And so those are some of the things that I'd expect to see. Again, look, I'm just a guy sitting in his you know, basement here waiting to play video games later today. So who knows what I'm, you know, if that's what they're going to do. But for where I sit, that would be some stuff to dial up. Yeah. What a, what's your video game of choice right now? Starfield right now. All right. All right. I've been waiting uh, since we've known each other. I've been waiting for that game to come up. Bethesda has been teasing it and it has been fantastic. There are days where I'll just like fly around this galaxy that they've built, this universe that they've built and just like stare at like planets and moons. And it's, you know, it, it's been super fun. I have not played that one, but I know Dives is a big Starfield guy. So yeah, I, you and I have talked about that um, last draft season. How much, how bad we like, it's, it's funny. There have been numerous shows that I've been on where early in the conversation it gets derailed with oh my god i can't wait for starfield to come out and now most of those shows have gone dark because i get the <laughs> sense that they do the show that they need to do they're not going to have guests on they're just going to get it done so they can get back to play yeah maybe you guys should do a starfield co-stream or we something. actually talked about it we talked about doing a starfield show at one point that'd be awesome yeah. all right well last question here mark and i'll let you get out to the galaxies uh same question this time but now you're jets offensive coordinator nathaniel hackett uh, you're celebrating a victory over Sean Payton from last week. Uh, how are you going to construct this offense to go against an Eagles defense while, you know, you're working around a banged up offensive line, Elijah Vera Tucker on injured reserve. Now uh, Dwayne Brown is out. You're flipping everything around. You've got a rookie center playing right guard. It's just not ideal up front. And then you have Zach Wilson, a quarterback who, I mean, let's, he's not great is probably saying it nicely. He seems to wilt under pressure. Uh, it doesn't seem like a good matchup. What would you try to attack on this defense? No, it, it doesn't seem like a good matchup. And it's funny, like everything that pops into my head, like, oh, well, offensive line is banned up and out of position. You want to go empty. You want to go quick game. You want to spread it out. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, you can do that. But 
at the same time, when you get guys out playing out of position, like that might not be the best thing. You might want to also say, look, we're going to go more max protect stuff. We're going to sort of condense things. Well, yeah, you could probably do that, but Garrett Wilson is then going to draw double, triple coverage when he's releasing into routes. Like it seems like there are no easy answers right now for this Jets offense in terms of what they're facing this week and going forward with this band up offensive line. I think you're probably going to want to, you know, you might then say, well, well, shorten this game, right? Get it to a grind it out, run the football. Okay, this is a very good run defense. Like, and you've got a band up offensive line with guys playing out of position. Like, that might not be the answer. Like, so honestly, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if I had to sort of say where I'd lean my hat this week, empty, quick game, spread it out, like, get the ball in and out of Zach Wilson's hands. Let him be a catch and release quarterback. Like, don't make him have to think too much. Like, some screens, some design plays, some half field reads, like get the ball in and out of his hands quickly, minimize what that offensive line has to do up front, neutralize what the you know Eagles can do in their pass rush game, those twists and stunts, so guys can't get home in time. And hopefully you can break some tackles that you know, get some yardage after the catch. There are no easy answers, I think, for the Jets this week against this defense. All right. Well, that about wraps it up here, Mark. That is my sixth and final question here. Um before we get out of here, I just want to say thank you for joining the show. Um, tell the people where they can find your stuff. What do you got? Anything you got coming out that you want to plug? Uh, the floor is yours. Well, Shane, it has been an honor to be back, my friend. Let's let's do it again soon. Um, easiest way, look, just SBNation.com. Um, I don't know what I'm going to be writing today. Um, maybe some stuff on hockey. Maybe some stuff on Phillies Braves. Maybe some stuff on you know, what we're going to see tonight, Thursday night game between Denver and Kansas city. The last time the chiefs lost to the Broncos, um, iPhone seven, I think was the iPhone everybody had at the time. Like it has been a Peyton Manning was the last Broncos quarterback to beat the chiefs. So that tells you where this, this rivalry has gone in the past couple of years. So might do something fun with that. We'll see, but SBNation.com at Mark Schofield on X Twitter, whatever we're calling it these days. And Shane, buddy, always a blast. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. Broncos might be better served to call Peyton Manning out of retirement for this one. They certainly might. All right. He is Mark Schofield. Be sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out all of his stuff at SBNation.com. We're going to throw to a quick break and then I'll be back for a short preview of the Eagles Jets game. Stay tuned right here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to thank Mark for coming on to talk about the Eagles uh, quarterback situation and about some of the quarterbacks the Eagles have faced in Matthew Stafford and ones they're about to face in Zach Wilson. So uh, go check out all of his work on Twitter, on SB Nation podcast feed and his written work on their website. Uh, He's one of the best Eagles or one of the best quarterback minds out there. So be sure you check that out. Uh, Let's turn the page briefly to a Jets preview before we get out of here. Uh, Let's talk first Eagles offense against the Jets defense. And again, you guys know the drill. If you're watching on YouTube, there's a graphic on the screen with schematic tendencies and success rate. If you're not watching on YouTube, if you're listening on audio platforms, you can go uh, to my Twitter feed. Uh, I tweeted this out Wednesday morning. So you can go check that out there if you want to know what I'm referencing. But uh, let's talk Eagles offense versus the Jets defense first. Quinnen William is a big guy to watch. Uh, against the Eagles' interior offensive line. Now, he only has half a sack so far, but he has 29 pressures, which ranks fifth overall, and it's first among defensive tackles. Now, obviously, the Eagles just played Aaron Donald, who was not disruptive, but I mentioned before they got four hands on Aaron Donald every single play. You can't necessarily do that against the Jets, who have a formidable defensive line with guys like Jermaine Johnson, a first-round pick last year, Will McDonald, a first-round pick this year. Bryce Huff, John Franklin Myers. They've got a lot of pass rushers that makes it harder to just double-team Quinnen Williams every play. Another thing to watch from their defense is going to be 
their cornerback duo, Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. DJ Reed gets less credit than he uh, should. Uh, he was ranked 11th in PFF coverage grade last year while Sauce Gardner was first. This is an outstanding cornerback duo, probably the best duo in the NFL. Now, DJ Reed didn't play last week because of a concussion, but it's highly unlikely he's going to miss a second straight game with that concussion. So he hasn't cleared protocol yet as I record this on Wednesday morning. I wouldn't be surprised if by the time you hear this, he has been cleared to play. Now, DJ Reed is physically, he's small. He's only 5'9", he's 188 pounds, uh, but he is physical. I would assume Sauce Gardner is going to follow A.J. Brown. One, because he's on a tear, three straight 100-yard games, while Devonta Smith hasn't had as much production. And also, too, just for size reasons, you're probably going to put Reed on Devonta Smith. So, uh, by the way, this is not a gambling podcast, but uh, Devonta Smith receiving yard overs. The line hasn't been set yet. If it's anything under like 70, 75 yards, uh, I really like the over on that. I think the Eagles will try to get Devonta Smith involved early. We've seen that. Uh, when A.J. Brown was frustrated, they get him touches on the first drive. When Dallas Goddard hasn't had, has 88 yards in four games, they got him four touches on the first drive of the game, resulting in a touchdown. I think you could see that treatment for Devonta Smith this week, and he just has the more favorable cornerback matchup. So Devonta Smith uh, receiving overs is a bet that I like. Um, and you talk about the Eagles rushing attack. Uh, the Jets have the 12th EPA rushing defense and the 15th DVOA rushing defense. So their average against the run, I think what they're going to do, uh, if, if I was them, they, they play a lot of light boxes. 59% of their snaps have been light boxes, which is the sixth highest rate in the NFL. They typically don't stack boxes, only on 14%. I would, If I was the Jets, I would be stacking boxes. And I would try to live with Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed being on an island against the Eagles receivers. So if that's what they do, the Eagles have to be able to make them pay for that. Also, weirdly, as a side note, the Eagles actually have a better rushing success rate running into stacked boxes at 52% than they do against light boxes at 43%. That's just a wild statistic, and it truly shows you how dominant the Eagles' offensive line has been, no matter what you try to do to stop it. So um, that's something to watch for. That This is not a blitz-happy team. They only blitz on 16% of their snaps, so you should have a more traditional style of defense that you're facing this week. And as the Eagles have faced more traditional defenses the last two weeks, they've really had a lot of success. On the other side of the ball, the Jets offense against the Eagles defense, uh, Brees Hall is averaging 7.2 yards per carry this season. He is Now, the Eagles rush defense has been really good, but he is the best running back the Eagles will have faced so far. But again, he's running behind a really banged up offensive line. Uh, at the start of the season, the Jets had left tackle Dwayne Brown, who went on IR. And so they moved right tackle Makai Becton to left tackle. And then they moved their right guard, Elijah Vera Tucker, to right tackle. And so that put them inserting Joe Tipman, a rookie center, at right guard. So we shuffled everything around. Then last week, Elijah Vera Tucker tore his Achilles. He's out for the year. So Max Mitchell came into the game at right tackle. And so the Eagles face... This week, a right tackle playing left tackle in Makai Becton, a rookie center playing right guard in Joe Tipman, and a backup right tackle in Max Mitchell. So you should be able to get pressure on this team. And, you know, Garrett Wilson is a stud receiver. Zach Wilson is not a good quarterback. He ranks 30th in EPA per play this season and went under pressure. Remember, the offensive line is not in a good spot. The Eagles pass rush is great. When under pressure, Zach Wilson is completing only 41.5% of his passes this year for 4.4 yards per attempt. He is also not a quick game passer. He's not going to get the ball out. His 3.05 time to throw uh, this season is the fourth longest in the NFL behind Russell Wilson, Justin Fields, and Deshaun Watson. So he's going to hold the ball. Uh, the Jets do not do things to try to really help him out. Uh, they're... They're 29th in pre-snap motion. They're 24th in play action. They're 19th in screen usage. They're 31st in quick game, short dropbacks. Like, this is not a team that does a whole lot to help him out. And I just don't think you can make a living against this Eagles defense just trying to 
run a traditional drop back passing game with Zach Wilson. So I think this is a game where the Eagles are going to roll. I do not think the Jets are going to be able to get anything going offensively. I think the Eagles are finding their stride as an offense. Uh, So I think the Eagles roll. This is going to be their their biggest margin of victory so far this season. I've got the Eagles winning 31 to seven in this one. So that's my preview of the Eagles Jets. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you enjoy this episode of the EPA podcast, show Mark Schofield some love on Twitter. Uh, it's always great to have him on and be able to talk with him. Uh, be sure you're subscribed here to the BGN feed, whether you're on YouTube or the BGN radio feed. You'll get all the BGN shows, BGN radio, uh, Babes on Broad, Eye on the Enemy. We'll be uh, back on Sunday evening for the instant reaction show after the game. So keep it tuned right here to the BGN radio feed. Go Birds! More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.